0: So many scriptures about uh, God desiring God's intention for all people to live together to worship together in peace and a, a peace that is not just the absence of anxiety and distress but a peace a shalom that is so good it's this deep sense of well-being Thank you, Mark. So I just chose a couple, and I decided to choose uh, one from Genesis and one from Revelation just to kind of bookend you know, our scriptures. So the first one is God speaking uh, to Isaac, and I will give you as many descendants as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all of these lands, all of the nations of the earth Will be blessed because of your descendants. I will do this because Abraham obeyed me and kept my orders, my commandments, my statutes, and my instructions. This is God's intention to bless all the nations of the world. And somehow we matter to this. You know, I do this because Abraham obeyed me. You know, it what we choose to do makes somehow a difference in what's happening here in the world. Revelation I love this passage. Um, So last book of our Bible uh, written uh, by the Apostle John uh, in kind of a vision and uh, it's this this uh, view of just kind of how God is going to bring it all together So John writes, After this I looked and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen, amen. How can you stay silent after that? Amen. This is where we're going. So this is our tribe. And these are just some of, you know, just two scriptures. There's so many scriptures. It's just, it's just everywhere. Um, So I'm guessing if we were going to, like, take a vote, like, do you, do you affirm this first freedom, the freedom of all races to worship and live together? I'm guessing people of God you would just like yes you know all hands up right so um, so we we have this affirmation we have this this knowledge up here that yes this this is what we believe this is what we affirm this is this is what we think and so you're probably wondering like okay now what And you know she's taken five minutes and we can go home um, but there's a difference between what is c- called cognitive theology and either experiential or functional theology, what we the theology that shapes how we actually live, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So for myself, I, I grew up in a church my I'm the first Christian, actually, in my church, in my family, but my parents sent me to church to learn how to be a good American. And um, um, so, anyway, I've, I've really, I've gone to church my whole life. Just about 20 years ago, I came to this encounter with God, where um, it was it was clear to me, well actually I saw this picture Um, I'd never had anything like that happen to me before, it was kind of mysterious but nevertheless this is what happened was that I was praying and God showed me this picture of this huge judge's bench. You know, there were clouds and the big bench and then there was this judge up above and sometimes the judge looked angry and then sometimes just disappointed, but that was kind of the mix. And immediately, I just knew that that was actually my heart picture of God. Now, I've been taught really well. Um, I've gone to some, some very solid churches. Uh, I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for a while, I've been taught well in the scriptures. So if you had given me an exam or you have asked me to affirm, like, is God good? Is God gracious? Is God merciful? Is God loving? Yes! I knew what the right answer was. I knew what the right answer was because I'd been taught well. And I thought that. You know, I thought, yes, God is good, God is merciful, God is loving, God is gracious. But that wasn't what I knew down here. And so I I became present to how um, I was disconnected. Not intentionally, um, but that was how I lived. I, I... I knew the right thing. And that was a good thing. That's such a good thing. (laughs) But I knew something different down here. And I would say one way I could describe my journey with God since then is God bringing those together. Well, God bringing this into alignment here so that there was consistency. So... So, if I were to say, well, let's talk about race. Let's have a really honest conversation about race. How you experience this as as a white man, as a white woman, as a black man, as a black woman, as a Latina, as a Latina, as an Asian person. How How does this, how do you experience Being in your body, your brown body, your black body, your white body, my yellow body, on a day to day basis. And I'm guessing you would not be quite as eager as when I put up that first, you know, like our first freedom and uh, us being able to vote and declare and affirm and all that. That is what I would describe as more our functional theology. How we're we're embodying, how we're living it, how does it feel to us? How does it feel to us that when we walk into a room, people maybe make assumptions about us? That have nothing to do with them really knowing us. One way or the other. Um, Trump, in the last day or two, said he was going to declare a state of emergency at the border. And I'm guessing some of you may, may think and feel like, well, somebody's got to do something about protecting our borders. Maybe you, you don't agree with the exact step, but just that sense of, yes, we need to protect our borders. This is, this is a good thing. Um, maybe some of you are very aware that where that border stands, that the people on the other side of that border, their faces look a lot like your face. And the language they speak is actually the language of your home and heart. Maybe. Maybe some of you are just like, i've never really thought about this but I, i'm I'm eager to do something i I know that the church you know our our, our nation is so polarized around race, um, even with the flipping of the house in the last election, you know the Democrats took back the house that um, there was still just a lot of reactivity, regardless of whether you're you're excited that the how flipped, or whether you think that's like the worst thing ever? Uh, there was a lot of emotion about that, um, and the nation is not looking to the church. They they don't they don't necessarily know us as that first freedom so that um, they pivot to us to look for because we're such a light on the hill again it's not intentional it's, it's not that we don't want to be that you know we affirmed that you know the freedom of all races to worship and live together but to actually do that to live that so that, so that the people around us like, wow, something different's happening over there. There's a shalom there that doesn't make any sense to me. There's a shalom there that I don't see anywhere else. I wonder what's going on over there. And whatever it is, I want that. So, God's desire is for every tribe, nation, people, language to indeed be worshiping around his throne. And so how do we begin to take steps toward letting our functional or experienced theology begin to yield to what our rational or cognitive theology is, our affirmed theology, our articulated theology? So first, um, so I'm I'm going to offer you a couple of possible steps today. The first thing I want to say is that around this throne there is really a place for everybody. So wherever you are, maybe you know, the thought of talking about race just you know makes you angry, you know like. I am a white man, I I am beat up in every room I walk into when race is being talked about because I'm a white man. My husband's a white man, so I I hear some of those stories. Maybe you're like, you know, I'm just sick and tired of talking about it because nobody ever listens. Nobody ever really hears me. Or maybe they hear me and they, they feel sorry for the moment, but nothing really changes, so why bother? There's room at the table for all of you. Wherever you are, wherever you are, God loves you. He adores you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. God just loves you and He invites you to start just where you are because You can't start where you're not. (laughs) Just practically speaking, you can't. And God's not going to say, you have to be over here before I start with you and give you an invitation toward me. No, he he starts right where you are, and that's okay. So our steps are about entering into that radical hospitality. You know, wherever you are, that if, if you are a person that's like, you know, I'm just tired of getting beat up on every time I walk into a room with people of color, that the challenge will be that you make that somehow you create space to receive whatever those stories are. And you know, for someone like me and others that, you know, we, we make space to hear the story of somebody who is of a very different experience and group so that's really that's the entering into the radical hospitality of God and um, and not just being together kind of a multi-complexion group and making it work because we really don't talk about it we're just nice to each other not that nice is bad mean is worse (laughs) but but we're invited to do more than nice. We're invited to love. And love can be uncomfortable, it can be messy, it can be, you know, there can be some pretty unsettled places about it. But that's what we're invited into. So, let me um, describe a couple of steps that you can consider taking. Okay. So the first step is around your own awareness, your self awareness. And um, we have very complex um, social identities. And um, there's a term called social locators. And this is just a way to think about who we are as people. So Social locator of ethnic and racial. I think this is a pretty significant one here in our nation for all kinds of reasons. Gender, body type, disabilities, mental or physical, education, English speaking, financial, religion, Sexual orientation. This is not um, an exhaustive list. What might be some others? What might be some other groupings of people? Location? Age? Religion? Did I? Oh. 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 Religion. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. S- sexual sexual orientation, yeah. So there there's more you could add here. This is not exhaustive. It's just a beginning list to show you that we're we're made up of of just a lot of ways that we interface with each other, that people s- see each other, that people experience, being seen. Um. So, our identities are complex. We have multiple identities. So, when I used to work in business, there was uh, an African-American man who was our janitor, Henry Hingston, lovely man Um, and he was the pastor of a church he was bivocational so at his church he was like given the such honor because he was the pastor and yet at our company he was was actually treated kindly but he, he did not have that place of honor like the president and the senior management, et cetera. So he was both. He lived in both these worlds. Um, dominant and non-dominant. Dominant has to do with power. And it may not be, you know, individually intentional, but it's about who has choice. What who has the ability to say what is normal? Um, So, here's some examples. Well, let me me just say one other thing about complex identity before I give you an example. Um, With our dominant identities, uh, we tend to be more aware of our individual story. So in general, people who are white are not as aware of being white and being part of this group that is white. They tend uh, to be more aware of their individual story. For non-dominant people, uh, in whatever category, there tends to be more of an awareness of being part of that group. Like, I am intensely aware that I'm Chinese American. That that shapes my lens wherever I go. Um, so I'm more aware of a group identity. So that, that's typical. Dominant tends to focus more on individual story. Non-dominant, if you're in that category, you focus more on your group story. And we're all, we all have dominant and non-dominant. Uh, groups that we're part of some of the dominant groups tend to be heavier um, or some of those social locator groups tend to be heavier or more influential like race Um, and then others are less Um, let's see So here are a couple examples. A um, story about a woman who um, was teaching in an Alaskan village and she came to the church, I mean not the church, the village leadership and said, you know, she was just feeling uh, very left out of like the social fabric of the, of the village and so she was feeling... Uh, very powerless. And like she was being um, um, just left out of things. And there was some truth to that. I mean these people had lived together for, I mean they're, you know, people had been there for centuries really. And um, even though she did occasionally get invited to dinner here and there, that You know, it was very different than people who had, you know, lived their their whole lives. But the thing that she wasn't aware of um, was, because this was more part of her dominant identity, was that um, all the teaching was in English. It was not in the native language. All the curriculum that they used had been developed in a white Western context, and it was through that lens that the education system was put together. She was not aware that all the the um, supervisors and bosses, not within the village, but kind of like the next level up, were all white men. So, so she had a great presence to her own story, And what she was experiencing, it was true, and it was real, and it was valid. And she was not aware, because this is part of the dominant. This is, the dominant is like the air you breathe, it's just what's normal. And until something does not feel normal that you have to kind of pay attention to, you just don't notice it. So my story from just becoming a little more aware of a more complex identity, as I said I've always been very aware I'm Chinese American and I've always been very aware I'm a woman. And those are two non-dominant classifications. And so when I was in the world of business, um, I was very aware that even like in a meeting, which tended to have a lot of white men. I love white men, like I said, my husband's a white man. Um, that I couldn't even figure out how to get into the conversation. Like, like they would be talking about something, and I couldn't, like, how do I get in here to this conversation? And, and I knew it was going to be important for my career development, because if, if I didn't contribute then they wouldn't see, like, how brilliant I am and therefore know that they really wanted to promote me. But I, It's like, but how, how do I tell them that I really have all these thoughts and I have all this to contribute, but I, I can't figure out how to get into this conversation? And one of the things I, I finally realized was that the pace of the conversation, like, like at least in my experience, was that in this group of white men that they, they don't actually, they, they start talking before the previous person has finished their sentence completely. And, and in an Asian woman, you know, I would not only let them finish, I would have a little pause before I would offer something that would be respectful. and. Um, And when I finally realized, like, oh, that's why I can't figure out how to get in this conversation, because every time I perceive even a slight pause, someone hops in. or, Or, and most of the time, somebody's already hopped in. And so I had to kind of, you know, like, I noticed it, and then I had to kind of, like, force myself to, like, just put my contribution in there before someone had finished their sentence. And I just remember how disorienting it felt. It felt bad. Because everything in me said, you're being disrespectful. And I couldn't ever quite get the rhythm. You know, it's like, you know, trying to jump rope. You know, like, trying to get into it. It's like, I couldn't ever, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel it. But it was such an important access point. In becoming more present to my dominant, the places where I'm dominant, um, I, a dear friend and, pass, and my pastor, actually, who passed away about a year ago, um, she was my first friend who was, who I, who were, we were such deep friends, uh, who was African-American that we really could just, we could just talk about everything, including race. Our, our kids are the same age, and as they got older, got started into middle school, and she was always a prayer, uh, but, but I remember her starting to say, you know, I've got to pray for my son, and it started to have this little edge to it, and I, I kind of wondered, like, what's, it, what's that about? I'm, I'm just noticing that. You've always been a prayer, but there's, there's this little edge when you say that now. Um, and she shared with me, like, you know, when he goes out, I'm afraid for him. Like, he's going to be approached by, by uh, guys trying to recruit him into a gang. I'm afraid that, you know, the police are going you know, to pull him over. And we, we have to have the talk with him. The talk to tell him what he needs to do if he gets pulled over. Or, or if he gets stopped by police because the only goal is to get home alive and I mean I was stu- you know I was stunned and, and I it was like I'm s- I had just had no idea she was holding all of this and, we're, and we were really close friends you had such a close friend could be holding all of this And it never even occurred to me to, I mean, I prayed for my son, but not in that way. And I never had a talk like that with him. So I became aware of my privilege as a mom. (laughs) So, oh, let's see. So I want you to just take a moment and look at some of these, at these categories, and if you have some to add yourself, you no, know, please do that. And I would like you to take... Uh, a few minutes and just group up into three or four people and to share with your group what locators, categories, that you um, believe that you are part of the, uh, is a dominant locator for you and which ones may, is not, is a, is a non-dominant locator for you. And, and if you have a story related to any of those, then I, am, I just want to invite you to share those stories. And before you do that, um, I want to invite us to enter this time Cause there are amazing stories among you whatever the story is where we will commit to speaking from the heart so speaking authentically it doesn't mean it has to be the deepest darkest pain because that probably wouldn't be appropriate this morning but just speaking authentically something that's real and then also committing to listening from the heart. That whatever is offered to you, that you will simply receive it with grace. That if you feel a butt <laughs> rising up in you, then notice that and then just set it down. It's okay that it's there, but, but to, to not let it be in play, just to set it down. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so um, whichever of these um, locators that you are uh, feeling particularly drawn to or or standing out to you, uh, where you may be dominant or non-dominant, and to share just one story. Does anybody have questions? Okay, so group up into three or four and and story away. I really love hearing your voices and your conversation. I really do hope you will continue these conversations. So possible things to do for the second step, which is to become aware of the story of the other, somebody who's very different from you, somebody who's of a different racial group. And here's some things you could consider. Ask God for a holy appointment with someone who is of a different racial group. If you are in relationship with someone of another racial group, ask their permission to take the conversation deeper with them about race ask for a story. Go to a place of business where you don't speak the language and share this experience with someone. Go to the website of a group you don't agree with or understand. Notice when you have a but, you know, like when you're hearing something, you think, but! Notice that. And just suspend for the time. Maybe it's just 10 or 15 minutes. But just suspend for that time, that but. And let yourself stand in that perspective of the other as you are able. Share this experience with someone. Read a story about racial identity by someone from a different racial group and talk with someone about what you read. These are just some examples. But step over a boundary. Step into a different perspective. Even if you only do it for 10 or 15 minutes, just to let yourself simply be where that other person is. You can come back to yourself. Um, But let yourself be there listening from the heart.